Episode 27 of Han Talks First. I'm your host, Han. This is a Star Wars podcast. This is the podcast you're looking for. We talk about everything Star Wars, and there's been a lot recently. We've had a busy week. We had the Mandalorian drop with two chapters. We had the release of Jedi Fallen Order. All the content on Disney+. And we're doing an <clears throat> Empire Strikes Back review. And episode nine is right around the corner. There's just, there's so much and it's all so exciting and we're so spoiled. And so this is where I'm going to break everything down, all the recent stuff we've been getting so far. And some of the first things I want to talk about are just some of the gameplay I've already experienced on Jedi Fallen Order. Uh, Don't worry, there's no spoilers or anything. So don't don't worry about getting anything ruined for you. But so I I had pre-ordered the game months ago uh, when it first was available for pre-order, and it came on Friday, and it was a good day because we had Chapter Two of Mandalorian and Jedi Fallen Order. So I started playing the game, and I got to a certain point, maybe like an hour in, and then I realized all the dialogue wasn't matching everybody and the music was skipping and the graphics were like uh, going in and out. They're pixelated. And I was like, Oh God, (laughs) it's glitchy. And so I didn't, I didn't know what to do. And my ignorant self thought it was the disc. I thought I had a bad disc. So I brought it to the store and I exchanged it and I came back and I started playing the game again and when I got back to that same point where it started wigging out the first time, it did it again. And I was like, whoa, maybe this is, like, something wrong. Like, I have no idea what could be wrong with this. I don't understand. It can't be all the discs, right? Is everyone's, like, freaking out? Like, this is so bad for EA and <laughs> Respawn and uh, Star Wars. So I contacted some people, and they, my one of my friends told me, you know, it's, it's probably the pre-download <clears throat> of the game itself on the on the hard drive because the disc all it does is just act as like a security threshold and it just streams from the content you've downloaded on the internet so i didn't know that so i uninstalled the game and i reinstalled it and then it worked fine and i felt like a complete idiot (laughs) and i i think i know what happened so i when i initially downloaded it i had downloaded it but then i requested a different pre-order, so I had to re-download it again. And so I think I was using a download code from uh, a different disc I was supposed to get. So anyway, it's fixed now, and then I started playing it. Whoa! The story is amazing. I'm, like, jealous because I want it to be a movie. And I know that's me being greedy and asking for a lot, but it's a really good story. It's movie quality, and it... It fits in with everything. And I've only played about two hours of the game, and it complements everything in Star Wars. There's references to the prequels, the originals, and the animated shows, and even comics, and just everything. And it really does feel like Star Wars. And uh, it's a game that every gamer who loves Star Wars has been waiting for. Like, this is the one that is going to change the way we anticipate future Star Wars games. I, I'm telling you right now, they're going to make a sequel for this. There's got to be, because it's really, really good. <clears throat> uh, again, I'm trying to stay away from spoilers, 
for the game. It's the graphics are beautiful. the The gameplay itself, the control and handling, is a little odd. It's third person, so that I've never been a fan of third person games. But you kind of have to do it with this because of the character and the lightsabers, and it also creates that big world feel. It makes it feel bigger than it actually is. But it's an open world game, so you can travel anywhere you want, and you can find like different Easter eggs on <clears throat> any of the maps you're in. There's no online play, which doesn't bother me. I I really bought the game for the story, and that's what I'm more focused on. So, but that doesn't mean they put a lot more effort into the story of this game, and it shows. There is one thing that is, it's not a spoiler, but most of the most of what you're doing in the game is killing a bunch of animals, and that's kind of a downer for me. Because without trying to spoil it, I'm. You're, you have different objectives in the game, and in order to get to those objectives, you have obstacles, and those obstacles you have to get through, for the most part, are creatures at, on different planets, and while most some of them are adorable and you don't hurt them, uh, the big ugly ones come out, and that's what you're mainly fighting. So it's kind of like a Monster Hunter <clears throat> game with as is a side story, as many objectives in the game. But I find myself doing a lot more of that than Jedi things. So I think that's interesting. It's not what I expected. However, I'm, I'm, I'm still early in the game progress. So I'm pretty sure that once I hit the three-hour mark, I'm going to get uh, more boss battles. Or it'll, it'll start to make a little bit more sense. But <clears throat> it's a great game. I highly recommend going to get it. Um, just, you know, make sure you get the download for the disc you get. Or just, you know, don't get a disc at all and just, just download it. Okay, so that, that's all I'm going to say about Jedi Fallen Order today. I'm going to play some more tonight, and I'll talk about it next week a little bit more. But I want to jump in now into The Mandalorian. <clears throat> and then after The Mandalorian, we're going to talk about The Empire Strikes Back. Because for those of you who don't know... I am in my Road to the Rise of Skywalker movie marathon. Once a week, up until the release of The Rise of Skywalker, I'll be watching one Star Wars movie in the Skywalker saga. We are on week five this week, which means we're watching Empire Strikes Back and reviewing it here on this channel. So, after I talk about Mandalorian, I'm going to talk about The Empire Strikes Back. And then, you guys come back, tune in next week, because we're going to talk about The Mandalorian Chapter 3 and Return of the Jedi. So... The way I'm going to do this, uh, I know there's people, and I know I have listeners that are not in America, and so I know you guys haven't seen Mandalorian yet, and you don't have it available to you. And most of you just probably haven't seen it yet. So I'm going to do my first half of my review as a non-spoiler, <clears throat> and then I will give you a warning before I start to talk about spoilers. It's great content, and I do not want it ruined for you, even though... People everywhere are blasting images of it, and I feel so bad for people overseas because, ugh, I mean, they just have to see it all, and they can't even get the content. It, I would be, I would be pissed if that was me. So I feel, I feel for you guys. <clears throat> okay, so I'm gonna start by talking about the cast and the crew because they did a lot of press for the show, more press than I've ever seen for a television series. It felt like movie press conferences. So on their press tour, uh, it was, of course, John Favreau, the creator and writer of the series, and Dave Filoni, the co-writer and producer of the series. And it, uh, accompanying them were the three of the main actors, Pedro Pascal, Carl Weathers, and Gina Carano. And they each play the Mandalorian. Carl Weathers plays Griff, who is... <clears throat> Kind of like the uh, the bidder for uh, the Bounties Guild, and then Gina Carano. She is Cara Dune or Cara Dune. Sorry. So, a summary of the show. It is about the travails of a lone gunfighter in the outer reaches of the galaxy, far from the authority of the New Republic. 
that is the official summary on their IMDb page, so that is what I'm going to give you on that. <clears throat> now, I'm just going to give you some initial thoughts and reaction when I first saw <clears throat> Chapter 1. So, before I started watching it, in my head, I, I started to th- I wonder, like, how do you make a Star Wars show or television on a budget with big-name actors and creators? And that point is proven in... Sorry, guys. My neighbor's dog is freaking out. Um, what was I saying? So, yeah, how do you, how do you make a Star Wars show for television, on a budget, with big-name actors and creators. And I think they did that in the pilot episode. And the pilot itself is just a proof of concept for the show. It feels like a pilot. It feels like they're trying to, um, you know, work their steps, figure out how they're going to put everything together. Um, it, just, it just feels like a pilot, you know? You're not going to get... It's very rare that it get, like really, really good pilots show up. So the pilot is just a proof of concept. And, it, and then once you get into Chapter 2, it totally finds its voice, and <clears throat> it, um, it just it gets way better from there. But I'm not putting down Chapter 1. Chapter 1 is really, really good. It's just, you know, they had, Dave Filoni was the director on episode, on chapter one. And Dave Filoni is, has never worked with live action before. This was his very first time. He, he is a director. He's directed animation for the past, like, 20 years. He worked on all the Clone Wars, Rebels, and then before that he worked on Avatar The Last Airbender. So he's, he has experience and he knows what he's doing and he understands story and characters. But live action is a little different. Now, he he did say that <clears throat> a lot of his confidence in going into live action was from George Lucas because most of the terminology and um, uh, outlook on how he directed his animated stuff was used in live action terms by George Lucas because George taught him how to make that, those shows. So he understands how to do it. And what's interesting is a lot of the shots in the first chapter feel like shots from the animated show. And I think that's very interesting. I think it's so interesting, and it's what Star Wars needs. It's what every show needs right now. Because when you're making animation, you, <clears throat> at least with the type that Dave Filoni does, there's not a lot of camera work. So he has to find interesting frames and compositions to make in order to keep it attentive and keep it interesting. And so there's a couple shots in The Mandalorian that look like it's straight out of an animation and it doesn't quite fit the mold of live action, but it is interesting. And I think if he works continues to work on that framing and composition of a shot, then he's going to get some great, great footage and visuals and images and themes along with that so yeah it's just a pilot it gets way better at chapter two before i started before the hype before the um promo the trailers whatever i was so nervous about this show and i was nervous up until i pressed play on chapter one because i am not a television guy i do not like tv for those of you who know me you know I don't watch it. I don't enjoy it. I just don't like the the way the stories are told over time. I like my content in one go, which is why I'm more of a movie person. So I was hesitant to, uh, I don't know, put a lot of faith into The Mandalorian. And I'm glad I did because I ended up going into it and I really loved it. I didn't set any expectations and I wasn't going into it thinking it was going to be a television show, and it doesn't feel like a television show. It honestly feels like a weekly special. It doesn't feel like I'm being forced to tune in next week to see what happens to this story. Uh, it feels like an event each 
episode. Now, we've had two episodes a week, so the duration for the other episodes might feel a little differently, but as of right now, I I don't feel obligated, and also being that it's on Disney+, Plus changes some things too, because that gives me the ability to pick and choose when I want to watch it, and I don't have to tune into live television. So it's a little different, but it's interesting. And another great thing about it is... I was going into it trying to think, like, oh, what could they do? Where could they go? What characters could they use, etc.? And what's really great about the show is you don't have to know anything about Star Wars to watch it. Honestly, you probably don't have to like Star Wars either. You can watch it, and there's something for everybody. It just has a classic feel to it, not uh, not so much a science fiction feel or a big CGI festival on screen. So... And I like that for me, too, because that means that us Star Wars fans, the hardcore Star Wars fans, we have no idea what is going to happen in the show. We don't know anything about these new characters. We don't know anything about these planets, where these people are from, where they're going, what this story is. This show is completely fresh and original, and it's set in the Star Wars universe, and it feels the most grounded out of any Star Wars story I've ever seen on screen. And what I mean by that is you actually, for the first time, get a sense that all the things that are going on in the background and around the characters in the saga films, you feel like they're, it's actually real now. Like, now that we have context to the environment set in the other movies it makes sense and it makes it feel more real and diegetic and it makes it makes you hooked and that's what's beautiful about this show i think all right so i got more things to say but that involves spoilers so i'm going to keep it non-spoiler real quick i'm going to talk about music the music was done by ludwig gorison and you're probably familiar with his work he did the creed movies um and black panther uh, and got an award for Black Panther. This guy is great. He's a uh, uh, he's a big uh, idol for me. I, I love his work. I've studied the stuff he did on Black Panther, and it's so interesting how he works with percussion and uh, technology. So like acoustic instruments and technical instruments, and he mold he molds them together, and it sounds flawless. And it sounds like uh, it was always it always was supposed to sound like that. He's just a very talented musician engineer and he brings a lot of that to the mandalorian show as well i'll read you a quote he said um when someone asked him about uh when he was first announced to be the composer for the mandalorian so he says world (laughs) i like took a breath and i was ready to say it and then i still flubbed it up okay He says, words fail to express how surreal and humbling it feels to be invited into the Star Wars universe. I am deeply grateful to Jon Favreau and Disney for this opportunity and to John Williams for raising the bar so high with his iconic, intrepid scores. They will never be matched. In these next months, I hope to honor the tradition of Star Wars musical landscape while propelling the Mandalorian into new and uncharted territory, and I will try to remember that there is no try. Okay, so I thought this was a really uh, beautiful uh, sentiment uh, and how he feels about coming into this world. And I, I agree with everything he's saying. You know, the filling the shoes of John, John Williams is um, it's, it's, it's one of those impossible tasks. And we've had a lot of great composers come in and get close and uh, harness that spirit and that energy of, that, of those compositions. Um, Kevin Kiner is a great example. He's the closest thing to John Williams I can, I can give you. He, and he's phenomenal. And he's also a very technical, engineered musician as well. Um, but what Ludwig is doing is he's actually he's taking, another, he's taking it a step further, and he's kind of getting away from the classicism of it. And he really is honing in on a brand-new spirit. I shouldn't say that. Uh, yeah, a brand new spirit, but with the same energy as the old scores. So I think what he says here matches what happened musically in the show. 
um, the trailer is a bit of a subversion because it's trailer music. It's the same for every fucking trailer. But for the show, it's a very ominous score, and it's also very random. And it's, it's more of a... It's more conducted by the images rather than by a time signature. And I think that's really interesting. It follows the action on screen, and some points it is a little... It catches you off guard just because it's so different. It's, it's very random and ominous, almost spooky. It's, it's spooky, western. It's, it's different. That's all that you got to take from it. Now, at the end of chapter two, he did play a piece of music uh, in the finale of that, which was really well done, and it was really close to John Williams' Star Wars theme. It was just very minimal, and I think that's another way to describe his music. It's very minimal. You know, the, the, um, the main theme of this show is played on a recorder, a bass recorder, and it's mixed with uh, um, different effects on the computer to make it sound interesting. And that's really it. It's just that, and then it's a low-tone like, sub in the background. And mixed together, it makes the theme for The Mandalorian. And it's so minimal. And it definitely has Western vibes, but it's a Western... It's a futuristic Western s- sound. And... What else is interesting about it is he is composing each episode its own score, which seems like a lot of work for an eight-episode TV show. And if he's going to continue that on through other seasons, uh, that it kind of scares me because it seems like overkill because of how random the music is. And I, it's John Williams when he's composing for Star Wars. It's very purposed. And it also follows the action on screen, but it's not directed by the action. When you listen to a score by John Williams, it feels like the music is... It just complements what's going on on screen. In this show, it feels like it's trying to catch up and, and match what's going on on the screen. And some points it works, some points it doesn't for me. That's my opinion on that. Um, I just think it's really interesting. Uh, I think this is new for Ludwig, and he hasn't done something like this before. So he, like he said, he's taking it to new and uncharted territory. That's just like the show itself, The Mandalorian. Uh, This is all things we haven't seen before. So that's it for music. Um, honestly, that's it for the uh, non-spoiler. So, for those of you who have <clears throat> not um, seen it, um, this is the part where you tune out. But wait, um, I will give you a timestamp where you can skip ahead and listen to my Empire Strikes Back review. So, if you want to skip ahead to that review... Go on over to 45 minutes and 30 seconds. This is your last chance. Get out of here if you don't want any spoilers. Three, two, one. Get out of here. I warned you. Okay, and for the rest of you, let's talk about Baby Yoda. (laughs) The cutest character in Star Wars, aside from Mr. Jar Jar Binks. Just kidding. Calm down. Calm down. Um, Baby Yoda is so freaking adorable, and this uh, character itself, Baby Yoda, is proof that this show is going to take this uh, world into brand new territory. And it also proves that you can be a Star Wars fan, you can be a casual fan, you could have never seen anything in your life and come into this and be on the same page as everybody else. Because the mystery of this show so far is what's the deal with baby Yoda? We, let me clarify, it's not actually Yoda. It's just a baby version of Yoda species. But we're going to call him baby Yoda because uh, 
he cute and he Yoda. Um, so, well, what was I saying? He is the so yeah. Everyone who doesn't matter how much you know about Star Wars, I don't give a crap. You're we're all on the same page. And so that's what's so beautiful about the show, and I can't emphasize it enough. And we're all going on this journey together. You know, I could we could watch um, any other Star Wars, honestly. Um, even uh, The Last Jedi, there'll be, like, nods or hints to things that could happen into the, into the future of the franchise. And some of us will get it because we've read the uh, the source material, uh, the novels, and stuff like that. Like, the mention of Darth Plagueis, for example, in Revenge of the Sith. A lot of people are like, oh, cool, that sounds like a cool guy. And you don't have to know his backstory. But for everyone else who knows about Darth Plagueis already, it's like oh, I can tell you about this guy or whatever. But it's not the case with The Mandalorian. Everyone's on the same page. And I think that's one of the most fascinating aspects of this show. And I think that's what's going to make it stick around and keep people hooked because it's building that community. And it's not just segregating Star Wars fans from uh, casual fans. We're all together on this journey, and that could that could be the, <laughs> the new birth of... Uh, Mandalorian franchise, and it could also be the death of it because if this show ends up going down a bad pathway and they fuck up something, everyone's gonna be pissed off about it. Just like uh, when Game of Thrones had their little fallout. I'm not saying that's gonna happen. I have I have full faith in the show, 100. It's gonna it's gonna deliver. Okay, so Baby Yoda. I, I that's really all I can say about it. That's that's the um, that's the point of the show right now is to figure out who. He or she, who he or she is, what the species is. That's what I mean when I say we're all on the same page. We don't know the species of this baby Yoda. Nobody does. And we don't know anything else about the history of that species, where they're from, why they, backwards they talk, and uh, everything. We don't know anything. I think that's great. We don't know why the baby is, uh, has a bounty on its head. Uh, and some guy with a clone outfit is looking for him. The Empire is looking for him. He was guarded by those little reptile figures and hidden on this in this bunker in some it looks like a, a drug lord's home <laughs> that you would see in like one of those crime movies. But we don't know. And that's what's gonna that's that's what the show is about so far and I think it's um it's it's very telling for the interests of the the watchers and also for the Mandalorian character himself. I haven't seen a lot of people talk about this right here, which is the Mandalorian refuses to kill him and he ends up killing the other uh, bounty hunter because IG-11 wanted to kill the baby Yoda. But he doesn't, so he kills the bounty hunter and instead... Uh, he you know he reaches out his hand or his finger <laughs> so the baby can grab it, and then in chapter two he starts to build a, a relationship and starts to care about this baby for uh, all of chapter two, and I I think it's because he sees himself in this baby Yoda like they said in chapter one he's a he was a foundling, which uh, is I I think is left to interpret that he was he was all alone. And an orphan, but not, not orphaned, but he was—he was just a, a, a lone kid. And some people found him and brought them into their clan, and that happened to be the Mandalorian clan that is on whatever planet they're on in this show. Um, so uh, my theory is that they're they're refugees from Mandalore, um, but they are also rebels. Maybe they don't agree with whatever. Uh, King is in power on Mandalore right now. So, we'll see. Um, but I think he sees a lot of himself in Yoda, because the baby Yoda. Um, he probably sees him himself, uh, you know, the, the lone child lost without a home, and the ability to speak or stand up for itself. Um, so he cares for it. So he's, this is probably when he's going to start getting into trouble, because he probably won't want to turn in this bounty. And instead... Um, try to help the child. So we'll see about that. Now, we're getting a lot of nods to Mandalorian history that a lot of Star Wars fans do actually know. 
For those of you who don't know, notoriously, Mandalorians are known as the greatest warriors in the galaxy. They have a very rich, complicated history in this world. They, you know, there was a period of time, thousands and thousands of years ago, that their planet was um, annexing other planets, and they were becoming kind of like an empire themselves. And they were... Uh, they were... Um, uh, years ahead of everyone else in knowledge and in technology, wep uh, not weapons at this time, but um, they were succeeding all... Um, they were just developing faster than any other species in, in the galaxy. And it wasn't until the rise of the uh, Jedi Order and the Jedi started becoming uh, powerful and uh, starting to form a republic and a council that um, they stopped Man Mandalore and they actually wanted them to come with them and like join the Republic or whatever, but Mandalore was like, we're, no, we're our own thing. And then that's when they started to create uh, weapons. And there is a nod to this in the show. And um, uh, Quill, the Ugnaught, says, um, you know, something to the Mandalorian. And the Mandalorian's just like, well, weapons are like part of my religion. It's because they built a lot of uh, famous... Or they they were ahead again, but this time in weaponry. And then, of course, um, the one... I can't remember the guy's name. The one uh, clan leader in on Mandalore made the Black Saber. So they were always in competition with the Jedi in some way, and he actually joined the Jedi, but um, later left. But he was the first um, Mandalorian Jedi. So I really would like to see the Black Saber in the show, they already are. They did introduce the Force in Chapter Two, which is what every Star Wars movie needs because that is um, that is the main character of these movies. Um, another reason why Solo didn't do well, but nah, we can't go there. Um, so yeah, just a lot of uh, nods to Mandalore uh, history and like also the Mythosaur. That is their um, uh, icon, uh, their logo, their insignia. That's the uh, the symbol that represents Mandalorians. And we actually saw the drawing of a skull in um, their underground tunnel where he fixed his plating or whatever on his shoulder. But um, I, I, don't, I don't think they're still alive. I can't remember. But that's, there's just a bunch of nods to that, and I think we'll get introduced to it. But it, we're slowly starting to learn more about Mandalore. And... Uh, one thing I would really like to see from the show is actually going to Mandalore and going to the planet and seeing other Mandalorians and then getting a richer sense of the history and its um, culture because it's a fascinating culture. Okay, so let's let's talk about the characters. Who is the Mandalorian? So we've kind of already talked about it. He's, he was a foundling, and now he's he's a lone gunfighter, gunslinger. He, he's a bounty hunter, and he's, he's, he takes pride in it. And he, himself, like a lot of other characters in this show, a lot of them resort to certain rules or guidelines of their own. They're, everyone's kind of alone. The Empire fell, there's a new Republic being built, but no one is actually under, uh, under watch of anybody in particular. So there's a bunch of different... Uh, resorted rules and guidelines that people are trying to distinguish for their individual self. And so that's why everyone's kind of uh, kind of nasty to each other, I guess. you know. And they have like the bounty um, guild where they go and they hunt these people. Oh, one thing. This is um, the very first thing that happened in the show. Remember, he walks into that bar and he sees uh, the fish man. He looks like the blue fish from Megamind. I don't remember his name, but yeah, this this guy, his first bounty. Um, worst character I've ever seen. And it's because when I saw him and he started talking, it immediately took me out of the movie and I felt like I wasn't watching Star Wars anymore. I felt like I was watching a Marvel movie. It was a Marvel character. It was Marvel makeup and design. It just it wasn't at all Star Wars to me, and it wasn't bad. It just didn't fit for me. You know, Star Wars has aliens, and the aliens are 
they're non-humanoid. This one was a human with, uh, like, fins on his face. Like, why? And he was like, I don't know. It just didn't work for me. And I'm, I'm glad he froze him really quickly so he could stop talking about Life Day and just get him out of the, the show. But, yeah, I, I think they need to watch their character creations because it's starting to get a little uh, outside of Star Wars. I think they... The problem with it, with the creature designs and everything, and the puppetry is, it's very creative. It's very original, and when you put a human face to something, it kind of loses that. And the only humanoid um, aliens we've really seen the majority of are the, uh, what are they called? The ones with the the big, um, like, big. Spikes coming out of their head. They got two big spikes or whatever. Ahsoka's one of them. Uh, those types of aliens. And I don't know why that works for me and the other one doesn't. Again, that's just my opinion. But for some reason, the fish guy just took me out of the movie. And I, I just couldn't... It felt like... I think because it was too close resembling um, Hondo. Yon, Yondo. Uh, the blue guy from Guardians of the Galaxy. It rem- Minded me a lot of him, I think. And that's probably what it was. It just kind of threw me off. Um, okay, so we, Mandalorian, the characters. Yeah, we got him. He's still very mysterious. It's so... It, I love that he never takes off his helmet. And that's what one of the things I wanted way before the show even came out. I was like, he needs to keep the helmet on at all times. Uh, it reminds me of the Halo video game. Uh, that's one of the things that makes the character so interesting. And... It's really hard to have interest in a character that you never see his face, but it works in the show, and they really do it well. And it's all in his movements, and it's all in the little lines of dialogue that he does have. It's all very important. But his actions, too, because when he held his finger out at the Baby Yoda, that tells a lot about this guy. You know, he, he'll go up again, he'll, he'll go for morale over... Um, uh, a reward, a bounty. So, I don't know, it says a lot about him. Um, Carl Weathers' character, Griff, we have really saw just a little bit of him. He's a great actor, um, but I don't know too much about him yet, so there's not much to say. And Cara Dune, we haven't seen anything. So, hopefully she's introduced in Chapter 3. Um, but what she has said herself about her character is that she's an adrenaline junkie, she's passionate, and she's also a loner. So, We'll see how that ties in. Maybe there's a love interest with the Mandalorian. But we'll see. I can talk about Werner Horsog though. Um, wow. this <laughs> Everything this guy says is so interesting. Bounty hunting is a complicated profession. And he, just, he makes everything so interesting. He's so cool. He's so calm. He's like typical Empire... Um, uh, leader, and he's perfect. I'm so glad he's in this. I want to see more of him. He's terrifying as well. When he's talking to the Mandalorian, like you know, I'll give you half and you come back. Don't fuck this up. Like this is a really important job. Don't fuck it up. You you go get the baby Yoda. You bring it back to me. I'll give you the rest of the money, or I might kill you. I haven't decided yet. So he's a very he doesn't talk like that. But he's a very um. It's, he's a very good character, and I would love to see more and more and more and more and more of him. Um, next, I want to talk about the writing itself and the story itself. Um, the writing is uh, very good. It's uh, it, This show is more visually driven and action driven than it is dialogue driven, which um, I'm not a fan of one way or the other. I, I, I like it all, but it does it really well, especially in chapter two. The first, like, 15 minutes of chapter two, there's no words at all. Nothing is spoken, and it still tells a story. It tells a great story, and it's just us following this guy, like, hunting down Jawas and um, killing rhinos and feeding Jawas, and it was just so, it was so cool. But everything that he does say is very important, and it is always about who the character is himself. The story overall is still unknown to me and uh, everyone else, and I can't really judge it quite yet because we still are being introduced to the characters. 
like I said, we haven't met Cara Dune, and we don't know much about grief. Um, we don't know much about everybody. The one we know most about is Quill, and he has the greatest line in the whole show, and it is, I have spoken. And he says it, like, over and over. And you know when he says it, it's like the conversation is over. <laughs> you have, like, he's like, I've spoken. That means you have nothing else to say. We are done with this conversation. And he's such a cool, cool guy. And um, he, he just has a good heart, and you can tell. He's, like, he's worked his whole life, and he's now he's on a farm. And he just wanted peace on his little farm and just peace and love. And then he saw Baby Yoda, and he was like, oh, I'll help you again. He's just so sweet. Another cool thing about the Mandalorian character is this guy is not a badass. You know, he's not he's not portrayed as like um the the hero who has um ultimate power and uh can do anything. He has flaws. I mean, this guy gets beat the fuck down in both of these chapters so far, mostly by animals. <laughs> He, maybe it's because he cares for animals, I don't know. But the one almost chews his freaking arm off, and the other one, like, impales him to the ground with its horn. So this guy takes some hits, and he also gets beat up by Jawas. And I love that, and that's what makes it interesting. That gives the character stakes, and it it keeps it from, like, you know, if he was just, like, a Jedi, he could use the Force and everything. It, it's, like, there's really only not, there's so many... There's not as many places you can go. But when he has limitations like this, then it makes it easier to understand and relate to, and there's so many more directions you can go with this. So in contribution to the story, I think it's going to set up uh, more more directions that this show could go, and I'm really excited to see what happens. The creatures and the puppets are amazing. Uh, that's what I want to touch on next. The... It really doesn't feel like there's much CGI. Uh, the one thing that really did feel like it was the giant walrus in Chapter 1. Uh, I don't know how I felt about that. There's always a bigger fish, you know. But, like, the 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 blurgs, they look amazing. And I know it's part practical, part CGI. Um, but it's the work that's put into it that makes it look so good. And Baby Yoda? That's all... 100% practical, if I remember hearing um, one of the guys talk about it. it. And that's what's really good, too. It's like, it kind of feels like a little person in a costume. Uh, like a little baby in a costume. Because it moves so well, and it's facial reactions and everything like that. Fun thing about the Blurgs, actually, is it's not an original character. They were actually featured in that... Um, Ewok movie. I think it was the second one. Um, but yeah, they they were um, used as what's it called? Stop motion. And it now they brought it back for uh, The Mandalorian. I hope we get to see more because they're so weird looking. It just looks like a, a, a tadpole with legs. Like a, a mutated tadpole. And um, I, I think they're cool. And it's, I think it's great that they have a history too. Like they have character. And they, when the guy was just like, you know, the they're all female because they eat the male after mating or whatever. <laughs> like, could you imagine, uh, you know, you have, for a guy, you have sex for the first time and your your girl eats you when, when you're done? Like, <laughs> it would have to be some really good sex for me to want to have to go through that. Um, <laughs> okay, moving on. Uh, again, with the digital and practical, the molding of it all, it, it's done very well. It's it's uh, it's it's how it should be. It's how it was done in the seventies and eighties with Star Wars. It's it's um, it's blending the two, having fifty um, uh, fifty uh, of the effort put in, uh, and it's one hundred percent on each side. But it's just half and half practical and CGI. And it just makes it more believable and, again, grounded. This is the most grounded show I've ever felt in Star Wars. So the question is now, where is this show going? Where do you want it to go? What do you see happening in the future of this show? I would love to know what you guys think. Uh, for me, uh, like I said, I want to see us go to Mandalore. I, I, I want to see 
I want to learn about Yoda species, the baby Yoda. I, I want to learn about um, the Empire, and I want to learn about how the First Order rises. Uh, it's, it's said the show is in the Uncharted Territories, so to me that means that we are going to get um, the answers to the First Order, because we know the First Order was created in the Outer Rim, where the show takes place, so we'll see. But We'll have to talk next week about Chapter 3. That's it for today, Chapter 1 and 2. It's a great show so far. I'm looking forward to the rest. I would like to move on to the Empire Strikes Back review. Okay, so for everyone who is uh, joining us back from the uh, uh, the spoiler talk, um, welcome back, and everyone should have seen the Empire Strikes Back. So I'm not going to put a spoiler warning, which in itself is a spoiler warning. Okay, so anyway, The Empire Strikes Back. Some say it to be the greatest Star Wars film of all time. Some say it to be the greatest film of all time. Well, I'm here to tell you that it's not my favorite Star Wars movie. <laughs> and it's not my favorite film of all time either. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we all know my favorite Star Wars movie is A New Hope. Uh, it, it can never be topped, uh, you know, it, it's uh, to me that's that's my favorite. It makes me feel the the best, and it's the most fun. A New Hope is fun. A New Hope is a fun adventure film, and Empire Strikes Back goes a little deeper. It's still fun. It's still an adventure film, but this one has some. It it goes it deep dives into characters, into story, and we get some more stakes and we start to lose that hope that we gained from watching episode four. The hope's kind of taken away in this movie. And we'll talk about that when I get to the end, but we've all seen it. So you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Again, I want to start with characters and this movie is essentially a giant character analysis piece. There's nothing else. It's just about the characters. And I think this film marvelously pulls out the environment and makes the characters function on their own. What I mean by that is they still take part of the story, but they start to get closer with each other and themselves. They form individualities, and they also form relationships. Uh you know, and Vader is also provided with a plot motivation. He wants to hunt for Luke. He feels a force sensitive in the world, and his one and only mission in life at this point is to make sure there are no other force sensitives living. I liked especially the handling of Han Solo's character in in this outing, and by making him a more responsible free swinger and Han not only grows in stature, but in his romantic passages with Princess Leia. And it seems more urgent and heartfelt, or at least more so than in the earlier chapter. So we see it with Han and Leia in their relationship, but we also learn a bit more about their individual personas and their... uh, What's the word? Characters too easy. Their dispositions on life. And Luke has matured too. He's less of the fresh face of innocence and more self-reliant and determined and someone who seeks justice. And what's most interesting about Luke's character in this is all those things I just stated is what makes him so strong, but it's also what makes him so weak. Uh, an example of that is the, the cave sequence. When he goes and he knocks the helmet off Darth Vader and it reveals that he's inside of it and what he fears most is uh, himself and those are his um, that's what's going to kill him his biggest strength which is um, uh, attachment and uh, justice for peace and uh, his connection with the force and his friends or whatever is also his downfall because it's almost um, 
surplus and there's too much of it and it is what will bring him down. Uh, I'll get more into characters in a minute, but I want to talk very quickly about the special effects in this movie. Um, because they're awesome. And one thing you realize, too, is, you know, when Lucas went back and made the special editions, um, there was a lot of changes, some major, some minor, and the minors were a lot. But in this movie there, you don't see as many. And the ones that are there are actually improved upon. And I, th- I think it has to go to show us the effects in this film were the best of probably the whole original trilogy. I mean, I think the epic finale of Return of the Jedi would count towards it, but Empire definitely has a lot more to offer. Uh, it's when they started implementing the stop motion as well, and some of the stop motion is absolutely incredible. I don't understand how <laughs> how it looks so good, and um, it, it feels real, and it feels giant. It feels large. Um, I remember as a kid, like thinking they were real and thinking like they were actual machines and moving um, in real life. And it was just <clears throat> so weird to learn later on that the, it was somebody like moving it frame by frame. And it's, it's just so cool and interesting. Um, it, it, it also does still bug me that they landed so far away. Um, like they should have just landed a little bit closer, but I understand. I understand they needed a big fight in the beginning of the movie. So um, anyway, what was it? What was it talking about? The effects. The effects are the effects are amazing. The uh, asteroid sequence. Um, those are potatoes. <laughs> They're potatoes. Who would have thought to put starch in space and it would make absolute sense? I don't understand, but uh, it's it it works. It does work, and um, the the technology improved. Obviously, they were creating it at the time, so they knew what they needed, um, but the extra models and everything it's just so delicate and you can you can feel the love in the effects and the craftsmanship and i just i think it's worth mentioning next uh, i want to talk about one of the things in my life that is very special to me and that is music the music of empire strikes back is a huge leap and a progressive jump from A New Hope. A New Hope was great. Um, it stuck out in uh, in a film world, and it was new for that medium. But and it's I don't understand uh, how could you top that. But John Williams freaking does it again, man. In The Empire Strikes Back, it does what A New Hope did for film again three years later. It's insane. I don't understand how it got so. We got so many more new th- motifs, uh, themes. The pieces in this movie are so good, and um, it's it's just amazing what this this guy did. And I think it's because it complements the story. Because I think if the story of this wasn't so good, the music wouldn't have been as good either. And I say that because the story is the inspiration for John Williams when he he goes he watches the the scenes and that's what that's when he starts writing. So I I think it's a credit to George Lucas and a credit to Lawrence Kasdan and a credit to Leigh Brackett who all wrote the story. Uh, of course, Irvin Kirshner who directed, but um, yes, a collaborative effort and the music really stands out. The like like the characters, the music matures in this movie too. Han and Leia's theme, for example. In A New Hope, we had Leia's theme, and it's this beautiful, um, sweet, soft, tender melody. And in this one, we get a kind of a call and response to it. And we get Leia's theme, but then also this new theme in it, and that's Han. And it starts off slow at first, and then throughout the movie, it starts to build until we get to the carbon chamber and he gets frozen in carbonite that's when it is fully molded and it's so beautiful because once they come together and they express their true feelings for each other that's when they're separated and i just love that but han and leia's theme is very good in this um so that's just just a an extension on a previous theme that was there let's talk about some of the new music that was introduced one of which is the imperial march which is probably one of the greatest star wars pieces we've 
ever gotten, and it might be the greatest, actually, if you think about it, as far as um, this movie. It, what makes it so impactful and meaningful to the story is the notes themselves. The notes of the Imperial March are so meaningful to the plot that's going on for this movie. So I said we're moving on from A New Hope and we're kind of taking the hope away in this movie and this is really about the Empire. This is the bad guys movie. This is about Vader. Vader has his theme, the Imperial March. Um, so it's a march. We got the, we got the drums and the, the, uh, the pattered trumpets and brass section or whatever. It's just you can feel yourself marching to it. It's very similar to the Nazi regime and their, their, uh, their marches um, based off that. It's also based off something else, but I'll tell you in a second. But so the notes in this song, after the, the march portion, it goes, dum, 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 da, dum, dum, da, dum. Then it goes up, bum, 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 bum. Then it goes up again, bum, 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 bum. Goes back up, bum, 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 And then tries to go up again, bum, 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 bum. And then it repeats again. So... What did I say there? It goes up and then it goes back down and it tries to go back up again and it keeps getting brought down. It's just like the story itself. That's what that's why this this music is so important. It it shows the characters. It shows this giant empire, these low G notes. Bum bum bum. And then it shows they the rebels are under this rule of the empire whether they like it or not and they're trying to escape it and they're in this g note of empire and they're trying to escape so they they're they're going up and they're going up and then they get brought back down by this empire and by that g and and it just keeps repeating itself. It's like no matter how how much they try to go up, they're still going to be brought down. And that low tone is the Empire. Uh, the Imperial March is um, one of the greatest pieces of music in, in movie-making history. It really, There's a lot more to this, which I would love to dive into. Um, but that's the biggest takeaway you should take. Now, another reason why, why does this stick in people's heads so much? Why is, it, why is this song... Or like so catchy, and it's it, it's immediately recognizable, and it's immediately uh, memorable, and uh, even on, upon first listening, it'll it'll stay with you. Why is that? It's because this song is actually kind of a remix. Uh, I call it a song. John Williams would probably slap me in the face. This piece, this piece. It's 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 a remake of another very famous march, the Funeral March. We all know it. It's the Imperial March. It's just a lot slower. That's the Funeral March. And it's it's essentially the same exact thing as the Imperial March, just slowed down, played different tempo, different uh, different um, velocity, and it, it's a little sadder in tone. And this one's more aggressive, obviously. But everybody knows the Funeral March. It's it's uh, it's it's cultural. It's every everybody hears it and they all know it. And unfortunately, everyone has death in their life and so we've all experienced or heard that before and that's why it sticks with us this song it's familiar already and it automatically hooks us in and we're already like connected to it and john williams does that a lot he takes famous motifs and puts them in his music and then writes original stuff around it and that's what makes <laughs> that's what makes him so special and that's why everyone loves him and no most people don't realize it that's that's how he gets that's how he gets you hooked in uh I'm not saying he's a copycat. I know some people do, and they just say they hate him for it, but I, I just think that's a very interesting way to write your music, and I think it's still original. It's definitely original content. Um, another thing about the Imperial March is, like I was saying before, it represents the story, and uh, but it also represents Luke's pull to the dark side. And, of course, Vader trying to get him there, and representing the Empire striking back, you know? And it shows the Rebels... Like, hey, don't fuck with us. 
or will bring you down. Uh, one more thing about the music, I want to talk about Yoda's theme also. A brand new um, piece that was brought into this. It, it's also similar to Leia's. It's soft, it's delicate. Um, I, I play this music whenever I have to lift something heavy. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> Terrible joke. Um, but this song is a contrast to other themes in the movie because it's played on strings. Most of the themes we're familiar with in Star Wars are played on brass instruments. This one is a string genre. And it's it's the opposite to the Imperial theme. While the Imperial theme tries to go up and it keeps getting brought down, this one just constantly rises and keeps crescendoing, and it keeps going up in scale, and it keeps growing. So it's almost like the Imperial March is the anti-hero of... Or, or the, yeah, of, of Yoda's theme. And go back and listen to it, it and it's, it's so beautiful. It changes keys a couple times, um, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't stand out, and it just keeps rising and going up, and the notes keep getting softer, yet louder, and um, it, it keeps rising up the scale. It's just a very, very good, very original song, um, and I don't think any motifs are recycled from other famous pieces of work. So, the story. Uh, the story of The Empire Strikes Back. This movie is about life lessons. It's about morale, and it's about honor. I, I don't care what you say. That's what this movie is about. That's why it sticks with everybody so much. The first movie, we, we did The Hero's Journey. That's what that movie was all about. And this one is about why we did The Hero's Journey. Like, what, what, what motivated us to do that? What did we learn from that? And a great example is um, Luke's teachings from Yoda. The most famous of Yoda's lines, try not, do, there is no try. It's so meaningful. And it's also about the fear of detachment as well. But each character we get, they go through life lessons, whether it's love, uh, about being honest and open, whether it's, a, whether it's um, um, uh, about uh, lying, um, how, how you treat one another, um, also self-respect, self-restraint, um, it's, and, um, owning up to, uh, your circumstance and your environment around you and, uh, not, you know, having others suffer the fate they're, they're chosen, they're given, and, um, kind of respecting other people's decisions. I know it was a lot, and it was probably very confusing to understand, so let me kind of break it out, break it down. Um, the success of this movie is expanding the universe, right? It, a New Hope did that for the, one of the first times in a sci-fi. It really immersed yourself in a brand new world, and the success of this movie is expanding it further. And it's giving new characters, it's forming relationships, and it's making you want more. The movie's real strengths is it, it's not giving you all the information that you need, yet at the same time, it's not denying you anything essential. So you have a feeling that you want to know more at all times. What I mean by that is, I'll give you an example. Um, Boba Fett, for instance, uh, the first time we're introduced to him, uh, we see Darth Vader telling him about the bounty on Han Solo or whatever, and he... And then he singles out Boba Fett, and he says, no disintegrations this time. He singles him out, he gives him a... Uh, he gives him a history, and it makes you know about this, but he has a reputation. He disintegrates people um, before he uh, brings them in, or whatever. And also, uh, there was a callback to that in The Mandalorian. If any of you caught that, <laughs> go back and watch Chapter 2. Um... Yeah, and another example is the ending. The ending of this movie. It's which it's not really fair to call it an ending because there is no ending to this movie. But the ending is a mystery. It ends, and you feel like it should be. It's ending on a happy note, but it's not. Every everything's in chaos. Uh, our heroes are alone. One is frozen in in, a, in space goo, and he's a coffee table. And it's and also the there is another quote from Yoda. 
Another what? What are you talking about? And, um, but at the same time, it's, we don't need that information right now. It's not, it's not essential to the story. Well, they give us everything that's essential to the story. And, but at the same time, we want more from that. And that's what makes Empire Strikes Back so enticing. And that's what makes it so good and different from, honestly, any other movie out there. And it builds on that in Return of the Jedi. So, honestly, I think that's about all I wanted to talk about for um, this show today. Um, chapter 3 of The Mandalorian comes out um, this week, and I'm going to play some more of Jedi Fallen Order, let you guys know what I, what I think of it and how it is. And then um, as I get closer to the end, I'll start to do some spoilers on Fallen Order. Um, and as soon as the cinematic cuts get released, you guys got to go watch it because it's some great Star Wars content. It's a great, great story. It's really good. And um, lore fans of Clone Wars will really like it, too. It compliments it very well. Um, but, yeah, that's it. Next week, we're doing Return of the Jedi for the movie marathon. Oh, The Rise of Skywalker is so close. What is it, four weeks? No, it's... it's yeah, it's four weeks away. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. It's it's going to be great. I'm so excited. Anyway, guys, hit me up on uh, in social media, you know, whatever. Uh, you don't have to, but... I would love to hear your thoughts. But uh, yeah, let's talk some Star Wars. And uh, now, somehow, some way, somewhere, this week, may the Force be with you. Do it.